Jeff, does that look familiar? <laughs> when I was a youth pastor in Weatherford, I was before I came here, I was a youth pastor in Weatherford for six and a half years. And during the last couple years of serving as a youth pastor in Weatherford, I had the opportunity of being the statistician for the high school football team. And I often attended practices during the week. Uh, gave me an opportunity to get to meet uh, some of the kids. Uh, gave me an opportunity to minister to the coaches. And I recall on one occasion when I was at one of the practices that one of the players that I knew well who was out for this particular series of practices came over to me and asked me this question. Why is the coach always yelling at me? Why is the coach always yelling at me? And I took the time to explain to him that the coach is, does not think that he's getting out of you what is inside of you, that your potential is not being reached. And it's a good thing that he's yelling at you. In fact, the thing that you do not want to happen is when he quits yelling at you. If you don't, if you don't get any better than what you are, if you're not getting any more playing time, and he quits yelling at you, that's a bad thing. Now, again, that may, that, this is back in the, in the 80s, you know, so things, I know things have changed now. Coaches are, are nicer, you know, and, and, and more civil than they used to be. But in that time, and back in my time, that's not the way it was. And, and I told him why he needed to fear this was because the coach is just, he's just indifferent towards you. He thinks you don't care, and because you don't care, he no longer cares. He knows prodding you is not going to get anything out of you, and that indifference always conveys intense rejection. Several of you mentioned about COVID this morning, and, and, and let me tell you the thing that concerns me most about these last five months of living with COVID. It's not the mandatory mask or the shutdowns. It's not the social distancing and the classification of people as either essential or non-essential. And it's not even the government, the governmental abuse of authority uh, by, in some places, not in all places, but in some places, by its overreach into the church. What concerns me the most is that recent research seems to, seems to point to the direction that once this is over, 20% of a church's congregation simply will not come back. 20% of a church's congregation simply will not come back. And, 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 and the question that, that, it, that as I read that article and as I wrestled through it and I asked myself, is, is it just a matter of getting out of the habit or does it reveal a heart that has grown indifferent towards Christ? Is it just something, you know, it, it, it does become a habit. It is a habit. Is it, is it just getting out of the habit or is there something more there? where there's a heart that has grown indifferent. Well, as you recall, as we've been making our way through Matthew 11, uh, we, have, we have seen these truths that have been presented to us, that, that the rejection of Jesus as Israel's king was not unexpected. In fact, the prophets talked about it. The prophets spoke of it. The prophets said this was going to happen. And the prophets indeed teach us that the death of Israel's Messiah was not uh, a, a parenthetical time of the kingdom program of God, but the death of Israel's Messiah was foundational, was foundational to the restoration of God's kingdom upon this earth. The prophets spoke of it. And, and we found out that the kingdom has not been postponed, but the kingdom occurs in phases. Right now we are in the inauguratorial phase. The, the kingdom has been inaugurated, but it's not been culminated. And those promises have not yet been fulfilled to Israel that God has promised them. Some of the promises have been applied to the church. We, we, we experience the benefits of the new covenant. Uh, 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 Christ, uh, and Christ was able to do that and send, the, send to us the gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost because He's been seated upon the throne. But, but, but still, there, there awaits a culmination of the kingdom. And, and when you get to Matthew 13, Jesus reveals the mysteries of the kingdom. He, he lets, his, he lets the, his disciples know the, the, the role of the church. The, the, what, what is the kingdom going to look like? If Messiah dies, then what is the kingdom going to look like? Uh, as we looked at verses uh, 2 through 19, we found that the first evidence... Uh, of, of uh, uh, King Jesus' rejection is the antagonism that was shown to Jesus and his forerunner, John the Baptist. Uh, Matthew is indicting the nation. 
in, these, in, these, uh, in, in this section of Matthew. He's indicting the, the nation for their rejection of Messiah. And again, he shows the antagonism. Where We read in the last part, he says that, that in verse 18, for John came neither eating, Jesus says, nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Uh, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And, and that, again, we mentioned the fact that, that the Jews were expecting Messiah to play by their rules. The Jews were expecting the kingdom to look like how they wanted it. And they, Jesus compared them to children who, who say, you know, you're, we're going to take our ball and go home because you're not doing what we want you to do. And so we see the rejection. Uh, they, Jesus and John, neither one, fit the mold that the Jews were wanting and that the Jews were looking for. But Jesus now, uh, Matthew now goes beyond as Jesus is speaking. And in this pericope, Matthew unveils the second indication of the king's rejection by the nation. And that, that's, that, that revelation, that, that, indicate, that indicator is the indifference of the people to the message of Jesus. The indifference of the people to, to Christ himself as well, but to the message of Jesus. And we're going to see uh, this rejection of indifference. It's evidenced by these things in our text today. We're going to see the denouncement of Jesus. Jesus makes a strong statement there in verse 20. We're going to see the different... different, different oh, good grief, Greg. The, different, uh, the difference, okay? The difference of cities, okay? Ah, man. The difference of cities... Differentiation. There we go, I got it. Differentiation. And if I slow down a little bit, the differentiation of the cities in verses 21 and 23, and the dogma of accountability, the, the, the doctrine of accountability. What is true? What, what is a foundational, the foundational dogma truth of accountability? So let's begin by looking at the denouncement of Jesus. Look again there at verse 1. This is a, a, a comment. Jesus doesn't make this uh, statement here, but this statement is made by Matthew as he gives us this commentary, and he lets us know what's going on in the mind of Jesus. Uh, he, he, Jesus doesn't make this statement, but Matthew reveals to us, again, uh, Matthew was, was probably here at this, this moment, if he wasn't here, the Spirit of God reveals to him, or Jesus himself reveals to him. But Matthew gives us this commentary about Jesus. It says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities, in fact, Matthew would have been here, where most of his mighty works had been done, and he gives us the reason. He tells us why Jesus is doing this. So Matthew opens up us into the mind of Christ because they did not repent. The word translated denounce here is a form of the root word onidazo. Onidazo. And, and, and it's a strong word. It's a, it's a very emotional word. It's a word that conveys deep outrage and deep exasperation. Deep exasperation. You ever been exasperated at somebody? You ever been on the end of receiving it when somebody's exasperated at you? Uh, or you, maybe you've been exasperated with somebody else because... Uh, you know, something didn't go the way you wanted, and you just, you just get, you know, exasperated. Well, that, that, that's, Jesus is feeling this deep emotion of exasperation and this deep emotion of outrage. And why? Why, and why is it important to, to the gospel readers that Matthew, again, he, he, he gives us what Jesus says, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by our works. And then he, before he tells us what Jesus continues to say, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, he gives us this commentary. He gives us this pause for a second. Why is Jesus experiencing these emotions? And the text tells us, we don't have to guess. The source of his indignation is stated in the text. Why? Because they did not repent. They did not repent. Why is Jesus experiencing these emotions? Because of the people's refusal to repent. Now, why did he get exasperated about that? People rejected the message of Jesus all the time. All the time. People rejected Jesus all the time. So why now? Why at this particular moment? Why in this particular setting has he gotten so exasperated? 
What made their refusal frustrating is this. It's the amount of privilege they had received. If anybody should have repented, if anybody should have received Jesus for who he was, it should have been these citizens of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. You say, well, what privilege did they have? What privilege did they have? And that privilege is simply this. In fact, Jesus is going to tell it, and we see it here when he says, if the mighty, in verse 21, if the mighty works done in you. And he says it again when he talks about Capernaum down in verse 23. He said, for if the mighty works done in you. All the miraculous things that Jesus had done. And fortunately for us, in the future, the, couple, the chapters that are previous to Matthew 11, we get an insight. We get to see what Jesus did in that northern region of Galilee. Let me just give you some of the miracles that Jesus did to authenticate His message of His kingdom's nearness and their need to repent. When Jesus did miracles, it was not so that He could strut His stuff. Jesus didn't say, hey, let me show you who I am. Pew, you know, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm number one. I'm, I'm thinking for... Again, my, my mind's going to Nacho Libre. Ramses is number one, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, it, Jesus didn't do that. He did the miracles that he did to authenticate his message. I am who I say I am. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what the prophet said what Messiah would do when he comes. And I'm doing this to demonstrate to you that what I'm saying is true and you need to repent. What were the miracles there? Well, first of all, the word that's used there that, that, that's translated, uh, 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 dunamis, it, it conveys strength and power and, 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 and ability. When it says, because they, when it says, look, where most of his mighty works, they, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. That, that translation of the word there, mighty, has, has that sense of strength and power and ability. All, here, here are some of the miracles that he did in Galilee that Matthew tells us about in the previous chapters. You have the paralyzed centurion servant who's healed without Jesus even being there. Remember the story? The Gentile comes and talks about his servant being healed, and Jesus says, let's go. Let's vamanos. Let's, let's, let's go there. Let's, 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 let's take care of this. And he says, no. He says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I'm a man under authority. I'm under authority, and I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. I understand your authority, where your authority comes from. That's what he was saying. I understand that God is your authority, and you have the authority to do the works of God. All you have to do is speak the word. Remember what Jesus said to him? said about him? I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. All of Israel. Jesus says, okay. Guy goes home. His servant's healed. We also read about the fact of Peter's mother-in-law who has fever. He heals her. And then just a commentary that, that once that happens, then it talks about that many who were sick came and, be, and were healed. Many who were demon-possessed came and were released. You have the healing of the, of the lame man. Uh, remember, it's where the man is lowered down and, and uh, uh, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And, and, and the Pharisees go berserk. And they start thinking, who is this guy forgiving sins? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up, take your bed and walk. And Jesus says, so I, let, let me prove to you that I am who I say I am. And he says to the man, take up your, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Boom. You read on and you have the dead daughter. It's not named in Matthew's gospel, but we know from the other gospel accounts, it's Jairus' daughter who's raised from the dead. She's 12 years old. And also, as he's making his way there, a, a, a woman who's had a blood disease for 12 years touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's healed. Two blind men see. A man who is both mute and demon-oppressed speaks and is no longer possessed. These are just some of the miracles that Jesus did among those cities to demonstrate to those people that he was who he said changes. 
Nothing changes. You go back to verse 20, and there is a change, however. Where he says, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Had been done. The Greek word there indicates more than just that that's something he did in the past. The word indicates that Jesus' Galilean ministry was over. It was over. It's done. Stick a fork in it. It's done. Their continual rejection of Jesus resulted in the door of opportunity being closed. He was exasperated. He was enraged because they had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Things that nobody had seen before. The dead raised to life. The blind made to see. The, the, the deaf made to hear. Those who were not able to speak to speak. Demon, those who were demon-possessed to be released from those demons. People that had all kinds of, of sicknesses being healed. Very, so many that you just said, well, many that were sick were being healed. Jesus not even having to be there for them to be healed. He just speaks the word and they're, and they're healed. And yet, they refused to repent. And Jesus said, I'm done. All that remained was a pronouncement of woe. A word of doom and a word of pity. Matthew in his commentary says, where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And then you pick up the words of Jesus again and the first word is woe. Woe to you Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. That's all that's left. That's all that's left. It wasn't that the citizens didn't like the miracles. They, they enjoyed the show. They enjoyed being able to take their sick relatives and those who were having difficulties that, that physicians just were not able to handle. They enjoyed all the, the bells and the whistles of Jesus' ministry. They enjoyed the, the possibility of, of having health like they may not have experienced for, for years. You know, Michael, they could sleep any way they wanted to and, didn't, and wouldn't hurt anymore. They liked the miracles, but they refused and were indifferent to His message. The miracles was not the end all. The miracle was to point them what Jesus was saying and say, listen to what he has to say. Well, how serious is this indifference? Well, the seriousness of their indifference becomes clear by the, different, difference, the difference of cities. Look at verses 21 and 23. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Look at verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Jesus compares the citizens of three current cities with three notorious cities of yesteryear. Now, Tyre and Sidon were still cities at the time of Jesus, but he is taking them back to the time of the prophets. So that's what we mean by yesteryear. Sodom was no longer a city, no longer existed, but Tyre and Sidon certainly did. But the three current cities were Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. If we were to show you on a map, these cities were the hub of his Galilean ministry. They're on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're close together. Not all the cities are on the shore, but, but they're right there on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And, and these cities, they, they were the hub. They, they, they were the place where the bulk of Jesus' Galilean ministry occurred. And in fact, Capernaum 
was the town that Jesus had moved to from Nazareth. When Jesus begins His ministry, He he moves from Nazareth. He's no longer the carpenter's son. He moves from Nazareth and He moves to Capernaum. and That's where He sets up. That's His home base. Capernaum becomes His his home base. And He compares those three cities where where this great Galilean ministry took place. He compares it to the cities of yesteryear. He compares it to Tyre which the, 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 the prophets of, uh, of old spoke about this town. It was a, a rich uh, Phoenician harbor city. And it was judged for her pride and self-deification. Isaiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. The city of Sidon was, was a, a city near Tyre. It was another wealthy Phoenician harbor city. And, and it was idolatrous. Uh, that, that's, the citizens of that city were oppressive to Israel. And the name to claim of Sidon was this. Anybody ever hear of a woman named Jezebel? Jezebel was the princess of, 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 of Sidon. That was her hometown. She was the princess of Sidon who was given to Ahab, who was king of Israel, to marry. And Jezebel is known for her wickedness and her, her deviousness and her murder and her cold-heartedness and her pathological view of killing and lying. And of course, Sodom, a city during the time of Abraham, known for its embracement of, of sexual immorality, so much so that we still use the word sodomite, or to be sodomized, though those terms are not used quite as often as they used to be. So Jesus compares these three cities that have had these great opportunities of witnessing the miracles and the teaching of Jesus to these cities that were considered nothing but evil. There was nothing intrinsically good about them. In fact, the prophets spoke against them time and time and time and time again. But but look at the text again. Look at verse verse 21, the latter part of verse 21, where Jesus said, He said, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, a sign of, uh, of deep remorse, a sign of deep repentance, a sign of genuine, heartfelt remorse and repentance. Look at verse 23, the latter part of verse 23. He says, For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. As God... Jesus knew what the people of these ancient cities would have done had they been given the same opportunity as these current cities. He compares what was done with what would have done. It's interesting. I've I've thought about that a lot. I mean, when I stand before the Lord, is part of my life going to be judged by what would have been? if I had made this choice rather than that choice. And I don't know. But I do know this. Based upon this statement here, God does know. God knows. If, if I'd have made this choice rather than this choice, what would have done? What, what, what would have happened? What would have occurred? But... It's easy for our minds to kind of get wrapped up in that and miss the point of what Jesus is saying here. The point is not about Jesus' great ability to be able not only to know what the future is, but to know what the, what the all different kinds of futures could have been had these different kinds of choices been made. The point that is being made is this, is that opportunity of special revelation is a privilege and not a right. Everybody doesn't get the same privilege of revelation. I don't know why. God is sovereign. God makes that choice. But Jesus said, if the people of Sodom, if the people of Tyre, if the people of Sidon had seen the things that you had seen, they would have repented by now. They would have been in sackcloth and ashes by now. And in fact, Sodom would still have remained a city today. These cities had rejected the message of Christ and they had squandered away the unique opportunities that had been theirs. Think about it. Think about what it would have been like to have been alive and to see the blind see. See the blind regain their sight. Probably a better way to say it, okay? 
See the blind regain their sight. See the deaf walk. See the funeral procession be interrupted. And Jesus said, Arise. Sit there on that, in that meadow, in that open field, and listen to Him teach, and your belly begin to growl. And you hear other, hear other bellies begin to growl. And all that's there is, 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 is five loaves and two fish. And everybody, oh, man, there's not enough to feed everybody. And yet, Jesus not only feeds everybody, but there's enough to have a lot of meals later on that day or that week. The unique opportunities that existed. The cities had rejected the message of Christ. They had squandered away their unique opportunities and their indifference and wasted opportunities then serve as the backdrop regarding this principle. You have the dogma of accountability. You notice how it's sandwiched here. Verses 21 and 23, you have the cities being compared. In verses 24 and 22, you have the same thing being said in those verses. Look at verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. In verse 24. But I tell you, that it will be more tolerable on the day of, of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Identical. Identical phrases there. What's Jesus doing? What is the dogma or doctrine of accountability? Verses 22 and 24, you could state it this way. The greater the revelation or opportunity, the greater the accountability. Or as probably a phrase more familiar to us, where much is given, much is required. Where much is given, much required. And, and notice one other thing. Jesus is speaking of a future judgment there. He says, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment. He's talking about something future. Where Tyre and Sidon, there's a future day when Tyre and Sidon are going to be judged. There's a future day when Sodom is going to be judged. And it's probably a reference to the great white throne judgment where, where unbelievers are brought before the throne of God and, and their degree of of, of, of punishment in hell will be determined by their works. And, and let me just kind of get off track here for just a second. And just let me say this. A lot of times we, we live in a world that's unjust. We live in a world that's not fair. And we wonder, when is justice going to happen? And, and we don't see it happening. When's justice going to happen for all the babies that have been killed in our country prior to their birth? When's justice going to happen? When's justice going to happen when, when those who have positions and power of authority use it for their own personal gain and have no care at all for the people? When's justice going to happen for those who have been mistreated because of their race, because of their religion? When's that going to happen? Because it seems like God doesn't seem to intervene. But what this text is telling me and teaching me, and, and, and it seems to be this, there is coming a day when God is going to march Hitler before the throne. And he's going to pay. There's coming a day when Stalin is going to be marched before the throne. He's going to pay. There's coming a day when all those who have committed injustices upon people are going to pay. God is going to right the injustices of this world one day. He's going to. And I think that's part of what he's talking about here. Again, that's kind of another side note there. But still, Jesus is letting us know. God is going to right wrongs. And where much is given... Much will be required. That closes out this part, this second reason that Matthew gives us as to why the Jews, the evidence of the Jew, Israel's rejection of Jesus, they, they rejected the forerunner. They were antagonistic towards John, the Baptist, his forerunner. They were antagonistic towards Jesus himself. 
John was aesthetic and yet and 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 lived a very aesthetic lifestyle and yet we don't accept his message. Jesus' lifestyle wasn't aesthetic as John's was, but we wouldn't accept his message. One's a drunkard and a glutton, and, and, and one's, just, one's just weird. But then also their rejection is illustrated by their indifference. Their indifference. Jesus' Jesus's rejection by Israel manifested itself by their indifference towards Jesus and his message. All these things that Jesus did, and yet they said, we can take you or leave you, bud. Hey, if you want to come and whip up some grub, if you want to come and heal a few people, or a lot of people, man, come on. Man, we'll make a place for you. We'll sing you praises. We'll have a great time. But let's leave it at that. Let's... This message of repentance, I tell you what, let's wait till later on in the evening when everybody's a little sleepy or something. And let's kind of hold off on that. But if you got to do it, well, maybe it's just best if you don't show up. We can take you or we can leave you. One of the two. Jesus' rejection manifested itself by their indifference towards Jesus and His message. They were wowed by His miracles, but nonplussed by His message. And we can get that same way. We're not careful. And my hope and my desire for my life and your life this morning is simply this, is that the Spirit of God will use His Word today to help you and I evaluate the use of our opportunities. Opportunities are not always there. In fact, there comes a time for all of us, whether we walk in obedience or walk in disobedience, there comes a time for all of us when that door shut. Opportunity no longer exists. What am I doing with the opportunities that God has given me? What are you doing with the opportunities that God has given you? Whether that opportunity comes with sickness or whether that opportunity comes with health where that opportunity comes with plenty, or that opportunity comes with want, or that opportunity comes through difficulties, or that opportunity comes with a life that's relatively going smooth right now. What am I doing with the opportunity that God has currently given me in my life, in the circumstances that He's placed me in at this point in my life, to be able to grow in grace, to be able to to, to be a light to the world, to be able to be a blessing, to be able to continue on and to be faithful and to continue to hope and to continue to, 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 to move forward with what God is, is wanting to do in my life and how God is wanting to use me in the lives of other people. I was talking with Jubal this morning. We were talking about some things. And now Lisa and I have had this conversation. And we look around and we see what's happening. And, and God's, God's doing something. I'm not sure what it is. But God is doing something in lives of people that, that we've prayed for and in lives of people that God has brought across our path and, and, and watching God do something in their lives. And at times when it was just easier just to throw up your hands and say, there's no hope. But as we sang this morning, our hope in Christ is not only in death, but our hope in Christ is also in our life. God help us today to evaluate the use of our no, no, none of us here none of us here use the opportunities always like God wants us to none of us here do none of us do I don't I don't but that doesn't have to keep me I don't have to God not only took my sin God took my shame God took my guilt and, and today I can grow and, to, and today I get some opportunities I also hope and pray that the Lord will use His Spirit and His Word today to help us to evaluate any indifference we may have for for Christ or for His message. Come to the place where we can take Him or leave Him. It's kind of like, you know, I'm doing that Bible reading thing that we started a couple months ago, and this week I'm in the we're in the book of the Revelation. And uh, started this last week. And reading about the church of Laodicea where 
Jesus says, I want you cold or hot, and that doesn't mean he either wants you on fire for God or not on fire for God. That's a wrong understanding of cold and hot. Is hot water useful? Sure is, taking a bath. But I don't want to drink hot water when I come in from outside after mowing the grass. I want a cup of cold water. And I don't want to take a bath in cold water. I'd rather take a bath in, in hot water and and rather take my drink with cold water because both are useful. But lukewarm water, it's not useful. And how do we get lukewarm? We get lukewarm by being indifferent. Again, the big debate is what's the opposite of love? Is the opposite of love hate or is the opposite of love indifference? I think it's, I think it's more like a triangle than it is a either or. Just indifferent. And God, search our hearts. May we be open. God, show me those areas in my life where I'm, in, I'm indifferent to the message of my Lord and Savior. Show me any areas of my life where my, I may be indifferent towards you. And then finally, I hope and pray that the Lord, will, by His Spirit, will use His Word today to, to, to help us evaluate the seriousness of squandering away our privileges and opportunities. I don't want a wasted life. I don't want a wasted life. And I don't want to waste it with tyrants. I know there's going to come a day. There's going to come a Sunday when, when I'll stand here and it'll be my last Sunday. I don't think it's anytime soon. But I know that day's coming. And the older I get, the more I can't pronunciate, differentiate. You know, it's probably going to get here sooner than... Gosh, I said that real easy, didn't I? You know, it's going to get here a whole lot sooner than I, than I may think. But I'm not going to quit serving the not. I'm going to go until he's squeezed. I'm going to, I'm going to continue reading. I, I want to continue studying. I want to continue doing those things because I want God to squeeze out every ounce he can get out, like squeezing a sponge. You know, get every ounce you can get out of me because there's so many ounces I've God, help us this morning. We, have, we, we live in a country and a place where we have tremendous opportunities. Tremendous. We've got wealth. We have, we have mobility. We have... You know where most of, the, most of the, the books, Christian books, you know what language they're written in? It's not Russian. <laughs> And it's not Spanish. It's English. And all the opportunities that we have, and may God use us as a church for however long until Jesus comes or however long He allows this church to minister in this place, that God would use us to be able to, to, to take advantage of the opportunities that He's placed before us. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have with your spouse. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have with your children. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have with your grandchildren. Take advantage. Take advantage. Because we never, ever, ever, ever know which day is our last. That's why it's not just part of how I pray. It's not just part of the repertoire of my vocabulary of prayer. But when I say it, I mean it. And God, if you should give me tomorrow, may I embrace it as a gift from you. And may I serve you Honor and glory. I read this every day. You'd think I'd have it memorized by now. And normally I would if I wasn't put on the spot. If I didn't put myself on the spot. But every morning I read this. To live each day in joyous gratitude to God. Loving Him with the totality of my being. By serving those whom He has created in a beneficial manner displaying the mind of Christ for His glory alone with childlike faith. I will
receive and acknowledge each day as a gift from God, choosing to view my daily circumstances with all joy, since God has designed them to be profitable, even if unpleasant. I read that, I read that today. Tomorrow I'll read, after I read the core purpose, I'll live out of gratitude of God's acceptance of me in Christ, rather than living to gain His acceptance. Tuesday, I will love God by daily offering up myself to Him as a living sacrifice, embracing transformational living while eschewing cultural conformity. I guess you know I like that word, eschew. Wednesday, I will live. I will love God by serving others in a manner that is beneficial for them and respectful to them as God's image bearers, even when it is difficult and even at the cost of disapproval or rejection. I don't carry these out all the time. Thursday, I will serve beneficially by displaying the mind of Christ to others, which calls me to deny myself by refusing to insist upon the privileges to which I may have a right, to empty myself by voluntarily submitting myself as a slave to God and fully identifying with those to whom I've been sent, and to humble myself by laying down my life and sacrificing it for all, including the undeserving. I will, by God's grace and mercy and power, no matter the circumstance, live and serve for the glory of God alone. And then on Saturday, I will relate to my God in all fear and respect, but also as my Abba. He bids me to come as a child with faith, boldness, and surrender. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me these three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yes, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God wants us to pray. God wants us to come into His presence. He wants us to do it with boldness. He wants us to do it with, 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 with the, the confidence that we are talking and speaking to the God of heaven and earth. And, and, and that he knows what's best for me, which back in verse chapter 11, and we preached this some time ago, where it says uh, that give us each day our, our daily bread, that God would give us. what God, what do I need today? What in my life do I need today? And remember when I preached this, I told you this is a dangerous prayer to pray. And next week was when I went in and had my surgery, and I left that day thinking I've got bladder cancer because that's what they told my wife. And in God's grace and mercy, it wasn't. But that's what the doctor thought. And I had to live this verse out. And by God's grace, I did. It's okay. Because you will give me what I need. And for eight days, eight days, this verse kept coming over. God will give us what we need. He knows better than I know what I need. But I can come to Him and I can pray to Him. And God wants me to come to Him with boldness, but also with childlike faith. He loves me. He's not going to give me a stone when I ask for a fish. He's not going to give me a serpent when I ask for bread. My God loves me loves me more than anyone ever has and more than anyone ever will because no living human being has the capacity to love like God does. And I don't know why I'm here right now. None of this is in my notes. But may God help us. 
to take advantage of the great opportunities He gives us as our loving, sovereign, majestic, righteous, beautiful, glorious, compassionate, merciful, wrathful, judging, Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for who you are and for a glorious work of grace that you've done in our life. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts today, that we would be open and receptive, that we would not be indifferent to the message of Christ today. Lord, I, I, I know, Father, that I, I hope and pray, Lord. In fact, I know that, that the things that I've said that, that may not be on track, that you'll take those and... and and sanctify it and, 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 and either wipe it out of people's memories or, or just set it aside. But those things that have been truth, and Lord, we, we, we've, we've hoped that the things that we've said have been, been true and accurate. And Lord, I pray that you would take that and, and burn that into our thinking, burn that into our hearts, burn that into our mind, burn that into our souls. And Father, that we would not be indifferent to the message, but the Word of God, as Paul talked about, that, that, that the Word of God brought forth fruit. It was profitable. It made a difference. Lord, we need your help in so many ways, in so many areas, in so different, as- so different many aspects of our life. But Lord, we have a God who is able to manage all those things without breaking a sweat. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts today. May we leave here today in awe and in wonder of who you are. From the moment we began, as Jubal led us in that song of our hope in Christ, not just in death, but in life. As we started the day with hope, may we leave today, Father, with praise and joy and thanksgiving. May we cast all our care upon you because you care for us. May we not become weary in well-doing. May we humble ourselves in your sight. May we recognize that without you, we can do nothing. May we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to place ourselves on that altar. And die to our ambitions, die to our pride, die to our own self-worth, die to, to what, we, what we place our confidence in, whether that's in our intellect, our abilities, our personality, our, 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 our wealth, or our, our, our charisma. And Lord, may our confidence and our sufficiency rest in you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom work. Encourage our hearts today. Thank you for the work of grace in our lives. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an appeal. I don't know if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now, but you do. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, just cry out to Him today. If you're not sure what that means, or we've got people here that would love to talk with you about that after the services, and we'll be around and can do so. For those of us who are believers, whatever you're going through, none of it's too hard for God. Is there anything too hard for me? He once asked. Is no. That doesn't always mean we get the healing that we want or the finances that we want or the relationship that we want or the situation that we want. Sometimes we do. But whether we get it or whether we don't, He always gives us the grace that we need. 
go to the Lord in a time of silence. And after a time of silence, we'll conclude our service. Father, thank you for the joy it has been to be in your house today. Thank you for, I thank you, Father, for these dear people that have been praying throughout the week for this time. And that you've heard and that you've answered their prayers. That your presence would be among us. That your spirit would work in hearts. That the word of God would go forth. And Lord, we know it's nothing of ourselves. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you do and the means. You, you give the discipline to study. You give the discipline to prepare. You give the wherewithal to think. You give the wherewithal to use tools that have been given and made. And Father, we, we know that whatever part that any of us played, it's all because of you. So, Lord, help us to leave here today encouraged in you. Help us to find a time and place today to be able just to thank you. It might be in a quiet moment this afternoon. It might be when we put our heads on our pillow at night. Just a moment to thank you. As we close in our eyes and rest as a reminder that we're a creature, not the Creator, because our Creator neither slumbers nor sleeps. Holy Father, you've never slept. Never. Never. You've never nodded off. You've never been tired. You've never expended energy to where it's depleted you. And so our rest at night is not only a gift from you, but a reminder to us of how great and awesome our God is. So may we leave here today with hearts that yearn for our own growth and hearts that yearn to see others come to Christ and hearts that yearn to see those who are away from you to be brought back to you. And as we times are hopeful and then at times are heartbroken. Father, help us to place our hope in you and in the person and work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Spirit of God who ministers to us in ways each and every day. We just thank you that the triune God loves us demonstrates that love by being involved in our lives and by sending the Son in order that we might have fellowship with you. Pray your blessings now upon the remainder of this day. Thank you for our time together. For we pray these things in Christ's name through His Spirit. Amen. It has been a joy to worship with you today. Again, if you'd like to continue to worship through your giving, the plates are there at the back on your way out. Again, there's the list for Brother Denman if you can sign up for that. Uh, two weeks from today, we'll be back with the children's program. Three weeks from today is the Ladies' Fellowship. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. God bless you. May the Lord keep you. May His grace shine upon you. And may He give you peace. Thank you. God